Baz, let's go back to the very beginning of your author career. What was the thought process behind writing your first book? Why, why write a book? Right, it started many years ago when I was on pre no mid-season break. We went to Tenerife with the Everton first team. It was fabulous. And I was sat in the Irish bar with Alan Irving. And we were, you were probably there. We were having those pints of Guinness and the baby Guinness is floating in the top. It was, it was a great night. And I said to Alan Irving, I'm going to write a book. And Alan said, um, why would somebody, I'll never forget this. He said, why would somebody walk past Paul Scholes' book and Gary Neville's book and pick up your book? And he's answer your question. And it's about the other side of football. And I've read lots of autobiographies and very good ones. And then I scored, then I got this, and I got a transfer on that. This is the other side of football that people don't realise. It's the suffering side. And I certainly suffered when I was a young player for confidence. And then it's the realisation at the age of 32, you've got actually no qualifications, savings, the mortgage rate's now pushing 30% in like uh, the late 80s. So I think it was that story that was worth telling and different the other side of football then that's what it was there aren't many about are there of that type of book no that kind of rawness to it all of course a footnote to that story and Alan Irving said to me he said who's going to walk past Paul Scholes's book and pick up your book and then fast forward about I don't know 15 20 years and I was at Man United and somebody sent a copy of the first book in to be signed by me and Paul Scholes is at the next table and he picked it up and I see him flicking through and presumably reading the little bit on the back by ESPN. You can forget the books by Paul Scholes and Gary Neville. <laughs> the Smell of Football is the best football book of the year by a country mile. So that was kind of fate anyway. But the answer is, I felt there was a, um, a, a meritable story to be told that would make people sit up and think, wow, so that's what it's like. It's not all about where's my next Rolex, where's my next car, is my England cap and I've scored out. It's, it's not all about that. There's unfortunately the other side of football, which is actually reality for probably 99% of players. What was the reaction from people both within the game and outside of the game? Okay, so uh, it was really interesting. A lot of people contacted me and said, wow. I was the same. A very well-known surgeon phoned me up. He said, bloody hell. He said, I was like that. He said, I was a fantastic bowler for Surrey Colts. And um, <laughs> when there was a crowd, I couldn't release the ball. I thought, wow, I've watched him operate on some of our players. I didn't realise that. So that was one reaction. And another really interesting reaction was, not you, Baz. You of all people, you were laughing, joking. You seemed super cool before the games. So it was that kind of double reaction. A lot of people suffered the same. A lot of people empathised. And wow, not you. You were always the most calm, the most relaxed. You know, so like this one, I guess, serene on the top and the legs flapping away underneath. With regards to mental health, we're talking about a different sport entirely now, aren't we? The, 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 the focus on mental health is there now. And it simply wasn't in your day. No. Um, oh, so would I have been different if I'd have had more sympathetic management? I would love to say yes if Birmingham would implore a sports psychologist to say, right, stop shouting at this kid. He's struggling with his confidence. Let's take him out of the firing line. He's a decent player. Uh, I don't know. I, I would like to think I would have done better. 
maybe not. And I say in the book, I say maybe, you know, if my dad was still alive and he said to me, hey, stick your chest out, man up and get stuck in. Maybe, you know, I, I do retain that. In all this modernness, I do retain mm. that old-fashionedness, you know. And I think we have to be careful we don't kind of lean a little bit too far because whether we like it or not, to cross that line in 50,000 people, Everton, the best fans in the world, we know that, to cross that line in front of 40,000 Evertonians, you need a set of cojones on you. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure if we can give you that if you don't possess that. So there has to be a reality check to it all as well, you know. In writing your first book and your second book, everybody involved in football, everybody that's been as many clubs as you have had, the career that you've had, has fallouts and has people that they don't like. But you were keen, weren't you, not to, not to disrespect anybody, not to dig up anything that didn't need digging up. I don't dislike anybody. It's a standing joke. Even now at Salford, they'll say, I'll say, oh, wow, this is the best pre-match meal I've had. This is the best I've experienced. This is the best team I've been on. And that's always been my attitude. The cup's half full, isn't it? Like, you know, mm. and I honestly have nothing bad to say about anybody anyway. And I always try and um, see the best in people. My motto has been, it's nice to be important. It's more important to be nice. It's got me nowhere, unfortunately, <laughs> but that's how I've lived my life. And I don't want to say bad things about people because I've got nothing bad to say about people anyway. You can't hide your your love of all things Everton. What was it about Everton? It's a, it's a million dollar Mate, question, isn't it? Everybody that comes uh, into the football club uh, uh, says the same thing. I love it at Everton, loved it at Everton. Yeah. Why? It, it's everything. It's <laughs> that front lounge opposite the players' end that's now a chippy. It's the Prince Rupert Tower. It's the the golden vision, it's the cannonball kid. It's every facet, isn't it? It's everything. It's the shirt, it's the colour of the shirt, it's the the lady with the toff music, the grand old team, it's just the church in the corner. Does it get under your skin? Yeah, honestly, I've got goose pimples now, honestly talking about it. It really is... It sounds like uh, um, facile if you're not careful and mm. patronising and that. And I never played for Everton. I was lucky enough to work for them on two occasions. And when I first went there, Alan Irving said to me, once it, it's the old uh, adage, once it touches you. Yeah. But it's, it's, as I say, I never played for them. So I don't want to wear my heart on my sleeve in those. But there's just something special about it, mate. It is a combination of everything. Like, you know, maybe if they'd won the league the last 10 years that kind of magic that is that valiant effort and it's the earthiness of the fan oh it's everything mate it's like I sit in that dugout Goodison <laughs> and you're sat next to a punter literally and they start on at me hey Baz tell Moise to get some subs on hey Baz Baz you're literally sat with your back next to punters and that and it's all that and the very first day my very first home game I think it was Fulham at home I stood up like you know to watch on the far side and they all shouted, sit down, slaps. <laughs> it's everything about that club, mate. Everything. Oh, it's so special, mate. When you first went to Everton, I suppose when you first go to a football club, if you're the physio, you'd gone to Everton from Preston North End. With all due respect, it was a step up for everybody associated with Preston that moved to Everton. Were you, is a little bit of you waiting for somebody to get injured so you can show them what you're made of, so you can show them that you know you don't Yeah, but, but it was tinged with fear because it, it was so nice. The lads at Preston didn't want me to go and they fed me a load of terrifying stories about the Premier League players, Duncan Ferguson in particular, age <laughs> physios and that. So I went to my first, 
I sat in my car my very first day at Belford. It was a hot day. It was 2010, just start of, start of the season. And scared, Dan, and scared to go in. And scared of Big Duncan. And I thought, well, this is my wife and kids got out, walked across the car park. I had double denim on and a yellow check shirt. <laughs> a lot better than it sounds. And I was scared, yeah. And I walked across and I stood in the old foyer at Belfield and I then hear a voice that I now know to be Big Dunk saying, by the way, have you clocked the physio? It's Bob the effing builder. <laughs> and I heard loads of laughter. The door flies up like a saloon bar. Big Dunk comes walking towards me. He goes, hey, I'm Big Dunk. I've finished a few physios' careers. I went, oh, I'm Baz. I've finished a few players' careers. He goes, by the way, I like you. I said, well, that's just as well because you're going to spend the season with me in the medical room, aren't you? <laughs> he come up to me. He put his face in my mind. He pressed the chest. He goes, you'll do for me. And you know what? I was in. And it was as simple as yeah, that. Yeah. And you know what? He helped me so much. And my very first game for Everton, I was in the dressing room. The lads are nervous. The big games in the prim. I've not worked at that level. And a couple of lads have come over to me and goes, Baz, Baz, um, foreign lads but it, it weren't about the foreign lads but that they have to be foreign lads like you know and they come over to me and says Baz Baz if I go down and stay down you need to get on because my knee's a bit sore and another lad come over and goes Baz if I go down and stay down get on quick because I'm not feeling great another one Baz if I go down and stay down be careful I might just be buying time and that eventually Big Don gets up in the middle of all that he goes right Baz I'm telling you new if I go down and I stay down you get everything on as quick as you can, boy, because if Big Dunk stays down, I'm F indeed. And that cut through all the nonsense and all these, like, kind of wilting violets that were the other players on that day and that, like, you know. So, Dunk, I don't know if he even knows this. Him and Big Kev Campbell was great. Mm. They really helped me. And that first um, encounter in the college, like a little bit of banter, I was in. Yeah. And it was that, and it was as simple as that. And the lads were great. And all them fears that the Preston players have put in my head that the players won't like you and the players will hate you. And that, that the players were fantastic. And I was in. I remember my very first day when all the players had gone. It was light blue tops in them days with that little bit of brown on the tracksuit, weren't yeah, it? And yeah. kedging on the front. Yeah. And I went running in the, the old gym in the, in the porter cabin at Belfield and that. And I was running in front of the mirror. And I was running a 10K and that like, you know. And I remember running with my navy blue, uh, light blue kit on and he had MR and an Everton badge and I remember almost having tears streaming down my face to think, really? my God, I'm the head of the medical department at Everton Football Club and that was my mm. first day at the club, mate. Did you, have to, did you ever have to rein Duncan in because he, 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 he played through injuries, didn't he, Duncan? Yeah. He was probably very rarely 100% fit with the times. You had to say, Duncan, listen, don't play this week, son. You're not doing yourself any favours. We had to be careful with him and... I saw a couple of times, Duncan was coming to the end of his career, obviously, and, and the injuries that he would tell you, this injury to taking the toll, he'd had numerous surgeon, surgeries and that, but my God, when you're nil-nil at home against Middlesbrough and 10 minutes to go, once he gets out and starts warming up, the noise and that, mm. and David used him fantastically well for that, like, you know, he, he made him captain a couple of times, I think, Southampton away, we were 3-0 up, and I think we drew three all and that, and after the game, he carpeted all the players and that like, you know. So I saw the end of Duncan, but I saw him as a friend as well. 
David used him very wisely. Mm. We knew with all the injuries and surges and that that you're not going to get him to play all them games and that. But David used him very, very well as a very, very important member of the squad. He was really popular, Duncan, by yeah. everybody. Yeah. And you know the funny thing about it? When he took over, uh, when David, David Silva, Marco Silva left, when Marco Silva left and Dunk took over, Marco Silva done his best and done everything he possibly could. So that's all I'm saying about him. Things didn't go great. But I felt there was a little bit of a fracture at the club because he can only concentrate on first team. And modern managers, they're not there for 10 years like Moisey was there for 10 years. Mm. They can't be looking in what we've got in the under-12s and that. So I do get that. But there was a, a fracture, there's a disconnection between the staff at the club, the staff at the academy, the first team, maybe the fans and the manager. And it was a masterstroke when Dunk took over. Mm. What a healing. And all of a sudden, he'd come and sit having his lunch with the 23s. We'd never seen the manager. And he'd tell a lot of jokes, mainly at my expense, I've got to tell you about the good old days and stuff. And as a healing process, on and off the pitch, it fitted the bill. Yeah. And then the cover scores, the second master stroke was getting Ancelotti. And obviously, didn't turn out as we would have hoped because he, he left, dare I say, with indecent haste that they kind of, mm. that they led us to believe they understood the club, Darren. They, they, they knew what he was about. They knew the heart of the club. They were charming guys. But they got up and left and I felt they left us and, so you didn't really understand the club. You were only just passing through to better things. So I, I, I felt, you know, a bit disappointed the way he left. And I, I think a lot of Evertonians did. It was, now you see me. Now I love the club. Now you see what it means to the club. I understand the Oh, actually, I'm leaving. Yeah. See you later. Yeah. So it kind of ended in tears, didn't it? You mentioned there that, that, that David Moyes managed Duncan Ferguson very well. I would imagine that David probably didn't manage every injured player well. He seemed to be to be the sort of manager to be going, come on, pass, any chance this weekend? Any yeah, but you what know... Was he like, what was he like when, when, when players were out injured? Well, he was brilliantly difficult, and that was what was good <laughs> about him, because I, I, I guess you do need that. It keeps me on my toes, it keeps the player on, on the toes and that, like, you know. So I have no issues with that, like, you know. So I would go up every morning, and I will go in and give my medical report at 915 and Dave would always try and chop a couple of days off each player and that. So I started writing stuff down. But to me, that's good management. Yeah. I worked with David seven days a week for 15 years. And on zero occasions, Dan, on zero occasions, did he say to me, no. He chewed and he grumbled and he pulled his face and he tried to shave days off. He never said no to me. And I can't, I can't ask mm. for more from my manager than that, like, you know. Did he never sort of try and tell you how to do your job? You Every day, seven <laughs> days a week for 15 years. <laughs> but he was great. And that, and we came through together, didn't we, from League yeah. 2 we Press. We, were, we are and still are really close friends and that. I would never say a bad word against him. He was, he was, I think the best people are great to work for and difficult to work for. And mm. I think people who work for the most successful people would say that, you know, and but I, I would have Dave all day long because every successful manager will have staff who said, "Oh, it's a nightmare to work for." Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and I, I, I did like it. It was difficult to work for, but in that he demanded the best. He mm. gave everything. He wanted the best out of his staff. So at that level, you you want the best from your staff. So yes, he was demanding, and he was difficult as you should be at that level. If a player's out injured for a long time, and some. Like breaks are obvious, but if, if a player's out for a long time and you're struggling to get him back, do you, do, you, do you ever start doubting yourself? Well, we had an incident with Lee Tai, 
Lee Tai got a, a broken leg. It was only a tiny fracture, but it was one of them right low down on the shin, little tiny crack. And sometimes they just don't heal. And I'd made a mistake. I'd let Lee Tai go over to China mm. um, for, his, um, for his rehab and that. And I kept phoning them. And Chinese is a very difficult language. And even his interpreter didn't speak very good English. And they were saying, yeah, he swim, yeah, he cycle, yeah, he good. He came back to see us. He was still on crutches, couldn't any weight through it. Like, it was bad for me. It was a mistake for me. I should have kept a hand like, but I assume that the Chinese national team with their best player and a conversation weekly from me would manage it slightly better. So it all went to SHIT, like, you know, mm-hmm. and I'm now getting hoarding and pressure. When is Li Tai going to be fit? It's about November. And I said, okay, he'll be fit for the new year. And they said, right, I'm good, Baz. The new year, thank you. Anyway, the new year comes and goes and they get me back in and that. And they say, Baz, you said the new year. I said, yeah, he's Chinese. It's the end of January. <laughs> Nobody laughed in that meeting. And I thought that was one of my best ever jokes. <laughs> Nobody laughed, mate. <laughs> and he got that plane eventually. Um, Never the same though, was he? No. And I made a mistake. And I, I will admit when I make mistakes and I should have, he broke his leg Simple fracture, playing for China in China. I thought the language, how much he's loved Chinese medicine. I mean, people say to me, Chinese medicine. I say, yeah, but more Chinese people die every day than any other nationality, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Um, He was a smashing lad as well, wasn't he? He was the best. He used to go away for China. Then he'd come back and he'd always bring me a present and he'd come in with his little hairy bits hanging down like, (laughs) and I'd threaten to cut them off and he'd say, no, no, you can't, you can't cut them off. And he'd say to me, Ah, I got, I got a present for you, Baz. And it was tea. Yeah. And he come in, bow, give him my tea. And I think, God, that is so cliche. You've been to China, <laughs> you brought me back some tea. You know, what about a Rolex or something? <laughs> tea. But he was a fantastic, fantastic man. Yeah, he was. Yeah. Really. And you, the biggest credit, you'll never realise how famous the guy, and his wife was apparently a world world famous that's that's not true obviously in China but in China she was a massively famous DJ they were the posh and becks of China mm-hmm. you know but he was so humble you never would have known it did you ever fall out with any players Baz? no no once did they uh, fall out with you? no no because if you if you're honest and you know if you include them in the diagnosis I would say we're going to do that are you happy with that? if they say yeah well they're on side if they say look I think it's that We've all had a look at it. Now, if it's that, it will behave like this. If we fall off that projectile at any one stage, then we'll get a specialist to have a look at it. Are you happy with that? And the players will go, yeah. There was only like one. You, you sometimes have words and that, but no, not really. There was one time it, it was going to snow. It was at Belford. It was, the snow was coming in. So Moisey said, right, outside, if you want to train on the hard indoor astro in them days, go in. Anybody who don't want to, Baz is doing a 12-minute run for you. People who don't want to train on the hard astro. Alessandro Pistoni comes out running with me. So we go, right, the snow's coming. We need to get in, get away. The snow's coming like, you know, like the Wizard of Oz, the storm's coming in. So we start running. After a minute, Sandro's tapping me on the back. Hey, Baz, Baz, Baz. What, what do you do? What do you do? What do you do? Slow down, slow down. So I stopped. I said, what's the matter? He goes, this is the matter. There's a new thing now, this is 2003, it's a watch and it's what ups your heart rate and it will tell you how tired you are actually. So he goes, Baz, I'm in the red, I'm in the red. I thought he'd been borrowing lots of money, but that must mean that you're running too hard. So he goes, I'm in the red, I'm in the red. 
So we start off again a little bit slower. A couple of minutes in, he's tapping on the shoulder. I'm in the red, I'm in the red. I said, Sandro, I said, I, what was I? I'm 45. I could run back to Blackburn at this pace. And you're telling me it's too much. Anyway, he then starts on about, ah, oh, Baz, you in, in, in Italy would say you are the minestrone, a bit of this, a bit of that, and you are so <laughs> often, you need a watch and that, like, you know, eventually he just went in and I was like left out on my own, like, you know, but the snow was coming anyway, so. But, you know, we laughed about that later on and that. And the, the secret is, Dan, include the player. Yeah. You know, include the player and the diagnosis. That's what we think it is. That's where we're heading with it. Are you happy with that? And if they say no, one day it was Sandro again. He came in and uh, he'd, had, he'd had issues with a previous physio who said, no, you're doing this, you're doing that. And Sandro came and I said, right, Sandro, I think today we do quite a lot of outside running. He goes, Baz, Baz, look, today for me is strength. I said, okay. And we do the running tomorrow. Yeah, no problem. It's just a make It's sharing the diagnosis, yeah, yeah. sharing the rehabilitation journey. If you start being too pedantic, no, I'm telling you, you're running today. Then he gets his lip out and that. No, okay, I'll go with you gym today and strength but we run tomorrow yeah no problem and that's how you do it isn't it sophistication it all it must have helped you an awful lot so many occasions that you'd been there you'd been a professional footballer you'd played your 400 games you, yeah you knew the tricks of the trade absolutely I we have there's some great physios the guy at Salford now the young Australian guy is absolutely brilliant but I, I do feel that being an ex-player is Many years ago, there was a young physio and he kept chipping away at me. He's more qualified than me. He's more qualified than me. He's got an MSc. You've got a BSc. Well, I've got, you, you've got your driving license. I've got mine. Have I got an advanced driving license? No, have you? Probably not. Because we don't need one. He kept saying, Baz, I've got an MSc. I'm more qualified, more qualified. Eventually, I said, you know what? I said, in October 1976, as a 17-year-old, I strode, probably not the right word, onto the White Hart Lane pitch to make my first division debut. On that day, I gained a qualification that you can never have and you will never have. Bit of a cheap shot for me, but he kept on about, yeah, I'm more yeah. qualified, I'm more qualified. And to me, that's everything. You realise less is more. And it's about the person more than the injury, you know. How big is psychology, Baz? How, if, you, if, you, if you tell a player he's fit, he'll get fit quicker. If you tell him he's injured, it'll take a little bit longer. It, you, you've, got to, you've got to get into the psyche of yeah. it. And I presume approach things differently with different players once you get used to their personality absolutely it's everything I think the physio and manager should be the prime deliverers of psychology I don't really think you need a third person who's a psychologist I think if you're a good physio good manager you have to be the master of psychology mm. I will often say to the lads at Salford now I'll take the lads at Salford out some of the young lads and we have a good running session and that like you know and I'll say to them you know what you were really good today I would definitely say you're in my top thousand players I've worked with. <laughs> and watch their little smiles turn to frowns. What? Top thousand? <laughs> yeah, we just spoke about Duncan playing when he wasn't fit. You have played when, yeah. um, when, when, when you weren't fit. Where's the divide and where's the cut-off point? You know, it, 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 okay, the cut-off point is your £25 a week appearance money. That's where the cut-off is, mate. And when I played for Blackburn... I played a hundred straight games. You needed that twenty-five pound. You needed that twenty-five pound a week. You needed that twenty-five pound appearance money. So the cut-off, I think, went from needing the twenty-five quid appearance money and playing with any kind of injury to earning a sufficient wage that mean you could get by without your appearance money. <laughs> it's difficult, isn't it? Like you know. Um, so you've, you've presumably then allowed Duncan to play 
when he hasn't been fit. Yeah. So what, how, how, how do you work out what not being able fit enough to play and being unfit enough to play is? Well, you have to pass a fitness test to play. I can't let you play until you've passed that fitness test, in which you've got to do everything flat out. If you're carrying an injury that is painful but won't get worse, you have to play. We insist, demand that you play. If you're carrying an injury that we feel will get worse, and then we're going to be less likely. We can't force the players to play. You don't take a horse to water and that like, you know. Mm. In a funny kind of way, a good thing about being back at Salford at the bottom level of professional football, you haven't got all the stuff. The players are more determined to play. Uh, we don't really scan the players anymore. So we do have more players playing every week yeah. with, with injuries than you would in the Premier League. And that's not a criticism of the Premier League. That's just a reality of the way it is. In the Premier League, players are less likely to play in discomfort. And that's not saying they're overtly soft. They're worth a lot more money. They've got probably a scan backing up that usually shows injury be actually worse than it is functionally. Mm. So that's the reality of the situation. At Salford, you will have three or four lads playing with discomfort that you wouldn't have in the Premier League. Now, they've still had to pass those fitness tests and to run and twist and turn. We're not hanging them out to dry, you know. Mm. But uh, on my very first game for Salford a few weeks ago, we had four players who played with my shout and their accommodation as well and a fitness test. And they all got through the game. And do you know what? That is so... Um, stimulating for the plan, the physio that you've done this, you've made that decision, got through it together. And I felt in my last years in the Premier League that was kind of going out the game and going out of fashion, let's mm. be honest. We were saying before, we were chatting before we started this, this podcast conversation, and one of your early games for Salford was against Derby County. Wayne Rooney is the opposition manager. Yeah. Mate, it's. it's we're getting old, Baz, aren't we? Mate, I'll t- I tell you something about that. Well, yeah, so Wayne goes, Baz! <laughs> used to win the game so yeah but you know what on my last day at Everton on June the 30th this year I went in and I, I took all the running sessions outside so I got changed went out we had a couple of under 23s to do some final rehab and Pete Byrne the, the head of the medical department he goes to me he goes Baz will you take Shay out he's had a bad ankle I said right I don't know the lad he goes yeah Shay Cahill I said no no <laughs> he's 18 I said the last time I saw him he was two in Tim's back garden in Sydney we went looking for snakes in the long grass and now all of a sudden he's 18 and he beat me in the shuttles and then you know it's more or less time to go but it's really interesting how all these themes of going round and coming round and that so when I was at Halifax in 92 and I became the manager for a short period Billy Barr was my captain I never saw Billy then for 30 years. He's now the first team coach at Salford. Me and Billy <laughs> travel in every day now. And we talk about those days, and we talk about those particular games that influenced how we ended up. And I realised, I realised, Billy Barr cost me my job. And I can't look at him now. I have to look straight ahead, because he cost me my job. And it was only in the kind of, the nostalgia of all them games. Remember that game? At, yeah, I'll give that pen away, didn't I? Do you remember that game when I got sent off? I'm thinking, Billy, you cost me my job, mate. <laughs> I remember thinking when Emma Raducanu won the US Open, yeah. she was born after Wayne Rooney made his debut for Everton. Unbelievable. She's winning the US Open yeah. tennis final. Yeah. When did you first become aware 
of Wayne Rooney pass because it's one of the it's one of the one of the few regrets I would think of Walter Smith's career is that he didn't have the chance to work yeah. with with yeah. Wayne because uh, even before Wayne played for the first team, people were aware of him. People knew about yeah. him. Did, did you? I, I when I first went to meet Davy to discuss my move over to Everton, he said there's something special coming through. There's something special, and they knew it then. Like you know, mm. and I couldn't wait and. It's great memories, of course, all my Everton stuff here, but that's the memory, the goal, isn't it? That's the memory. And one thing I remember from that first few months, he come on a sub a lot, didn't he? They yeah. used him very cleverly yeah. in that. And every time he got the ball out right, I can see it now on that far side, everybody in the ground stood up and that and got the goose pimples. Did he do stuff in training that yes, made you unbelievable, gasp? unbelievable. So he just put the foot ball down and go. Yeah, Baz, and he kicked the ball from the halfway line over the crossbar with like no backlift, and his speed. And one day we're doing shots, and Josie Fiobo was the quickest at the club. Mm. And Wayne said, "I can beat Joe." Well, you can't, can you? And he did. His confidence, but people don't realise how quick. Yeah. Quick yeah. Wayne. Now, when the, when he got to his Man U days, he was considered to be more of a playmaker than that. But even then, he he wasn't slow. But at his peak. I bet they weren't a quicker player over 10 yards. He had the physicality, didn't he, as well? He wasn't afraid to, wasn't afraid to go yeah. in strong yeah. and train. I remember one time I was going in on a Wednesday, and in them days the club weren't open 24-7 with the academies and all that kind of stuff. So on a Wednesday, there'd be me, a couple of injured lads in, and me and Wayne were in, we scored holidays. And I, I, we scored holidays, and I took, um, I took my lad in, Oliver was about eight, and I took a lad called Ryan from down the road, and he come in, I went, who's that? And he just, Burst into tears, he's like, <laughs> he couldn't go. Wayne's been, Wayne's been too famous to be able to put his own bins out since he was 16, hasn't yeah. he? I remember when he broke his foot and we were going for an x ray in Manchester and we talked about life in general. He just moved over to like all the edge and that, like, you know, and he was saying that him and Colleen can't go to the cinema. He was only about 18, like, you yeah, know, yeah. And uh, he'd say to me that he's got a contact there and what he do when the movie starts he'll, he'll text them I'll open the side door he'll nip it in the dark sit there and then a minute before that they'll let him out the side door right. now he couldn't go to the Trafford Centre no. even, he, I don't know if he's even open it's probably just opened and that like you know so it, it is great that he's achieved so much but there is of course that downside to it all absolutely we yeah. went to Tanzania yeah. yeah we've just been in Blackman Town Centre I wasn't mobbed was I I wouldn't say mob. <laughs> the cap helps, doesn't it? The cap helps. I was going to say, remember when we were in Tanzania? We were walking through Tanzania Airport, and there's two guys there, and they were and they were brushing brushing the the, the refuse off the floor. And I no disrespect to the guys at all, but the the the, the street cleaners are just outside Tanzania Airport. Rooney, 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 yeah. and it's a level of fame. Yeah. When he came back to Everton, we we suddenly began to appreciate the actual level of fame. It, it's unthinkable, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. It's unthinkable. I mean, it'll, yeah. it's going to be bad enough for you when this book comes out. Absolutely, yeah. But he, he, he was and will be remembered as the greatest player of his generation. And to be an Englishman and be that, you know, we, we had like people say Tom Finney was the greatest of his generation, Gazza probably in the 80s, and Rooney ticks that box. Yeah. And it is that maverickness as well, isn't it? Yeah, 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 Lampard was brilliant, Gerard was brilliant, but it is that extra dimension of that personality. Genius. That genius and Colt and, uh, and that's where he sits and that, you know to, to come through as a working class kid in, in Croxters wasn't it come through the ranks at Everton and be that greatest player of his generation mm. that's some achievement in England which is the most soccer mad nation in the world isn't it absolutely before we come on to your, your second book and the contents within yeah. it 
Tell us about Thomas Graveson. Okay, so, um, oh, mate. <laughs> great it's a podcast player. on its own, isn't it? Great player, great guy. Can we call him eccentric? Can we just so call him eccentric? Like he like he would like that. That's tapering it down and that, like, you know. Um, I, I, I just, I remember once I was taken for a scan and uh, I got out of the car and I said, oh, Tom, I stopped for petrol. Okay, Mike, we stopped for petrol. Mike. <laughs> Mike, he called me Mike. And he called Danny Donerkey, Denzil. Hey, Baz, Mike, Mike, where's Denzil? I said, what's he calling him? He's Danny. He goes, yeah, I call him Denzil from now on. So I stopped for petrol. <laughs> I get out of the car for petrol. I'm aware he's got out of the car and he's to right by me. Okay, Mike, we fill the tank up now. See you fill the tank up. Okay. Tank full. See your tank's full. Okay, now we go and pay. He offered to pay. I said, no, I said, we're going for an extra. It'd be Everton's club. Like, you know, I, okay, Mike, you need sweets, you need chocolate, Mike. I said, no, no, no. Okay, Mike's not having chocolate. Just pay for the petrol, then we go. <laughs> so, so then we went up, like, you know. And it was just that. You never left your side. <laughs> unbelievable. Just like follow me around. and What a player. Oh, God. What a player. And then like when he went to Real Madrid, we was watching it unfold and that like, you know, and he turns up at the uh, the Bernabeu with his Everton club <laughs> suit on. <laughs> but he was, uh, oh, God. He was a one-off, wasn't oh, he? Oh, mate. The first time I ran on the pitch, I was really nervous at Goodison, big crowd on. You know, I'm only the fish, I'm not a player, but it's still 40,000 people. Mm. Like, you know, if somebody dies in your arms, like, you know. <laughs> anyway, the first person I run to is Tommy Graverson. So he's lying on the floor, and I say to him, What's up? What's up? Oh my God, he went mad. He goes, What's up? What's up? What's up? You're the effing physio, Mike. You tell me what's up. Effing hell. Effing hell. So uh, I kind of fluff around him, a bit of cold water on him and that like, you know. And then I get him on his feet and then I'm walking off and I'm holding him like, you know. He goes berserk. He goes, take your effing hands off me. Take your effing hands off me. Effing hell, Mike. Take your hands off me now. And he pushes me away in the middle of the pitch on my debut in front of 40,000 people. We get to the side. He goes, all good now, Mike. Thanks for that. And then run back on. <laughs> great, great. And a genius player. Very underrated, I felt. The uh, first section of your second book deals with your first departure from Everton yeah. when you got the sack off your mate. Yeah. What still hurts that now. It still hurts. <laughs> Do you know what? I don't if I did get sacked. I, I suppose if you can't come in again, you're sacked, aren't you? <laughs> you know, uh, you can dress up how you want. But if you're forced to leave... And to clear your desk. No, it was amicable. It was fine. It was the right thing to do. As I say, David went up in my... He was up at the top of my estimation. He went up for it like, in my estimation that day. We'd, you know, you kind of... There's a lifespan to everything. We'd have 15 years together. Amazing years. Seven at Preston, eight there. And, and, and times move on. I'd become burned out, let's be honest. So mm. it, it Did was... Did you feel burned out? Yes, uh, nobody saw it, but I found it harder and harder to come in every day. And if you work seven days a week for 15 years in a high-pressure job, mm. and I say in the book, listen, this is an unforgiving job. Yeah. If you drop your guard, you're out. And mm. I dropped my guard, and I weren't performing well, and Dave did the right thing and a great thing, and I think he'd done it for me. You know, he could have said, go and have six weeks off, but that wouldn't have done it. I needed a good long break, and that's so... <laughs> I say it's that. powerful management then isn't it to, yes. to bring in somebody yeah. who's a your, loyal confidant and a good mate. friend yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm giving the ball to <laughs> <laughs> but uh, 
Yeah, it's... Um, what was it like the following morning, can you remember? Because as you say, 15 years working with David, yeah. lovely guy, we're so pleased he's doing well at West Ham. But Absolutely, he is, he is, as I predicted in He that is book. an intense guy, so yeah, it must have been full on for 15 years, and yeah. all of a sudden the following yeah. morning... Yeah. Well, I say on the way down the stairs, Fellaini's is phoning me now, oh no. He kept going back to Belgium without permission and getting in trouble with the boss. It's not the boss now, it's David or Big David or Moisey even, like, you know, yeah. delete him, he can... F off. <laughs> Fellaini, deleted. Ring it again and deleted again. And do you know what? And deleted again. Because it's not my problem anymore. So the players still approach you with one or two problems even after you'd gone? Yeah, because there is that kind of inertia for 24 hours for the jungle drums, <laughs> get it right, like, you know. But uh, it, it was great. He did a great thing for me. Mm. If you can sack somebody and they can do it, that's me, isn't it? <laughs> you know, I think if somebody could punch me in the face, I'd say, that's a great shot. You've shot my cheekbone. <laughs> well done. You know, but that's that's why I live my life and that. He done me a massive favour that day and I, I, I thank him every time. And we used to meet and every kind of three months we'd meet the Tickle Trout for lunch and he'd always pay and I would say, okay, I'll let you pay on this occasion because you may or may not be aware that I don't have a job. <laughs> you say it was great. You say you, 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 you'd burned out, you weren't performing at your top level and it was great to get a break. But when did it stop becoming great to have a break? When did it start to become a little bit tougher? When the season started. Because all during the summer, uh, it was great because the club were amazing they look they, they settled my contract the next day and so I had breathing space so the, the club they just treated me so well I can't tell you do you have a relationship with the chairman yeah I I, I re funnily enough a couple of years ago um when we won the double at Everton in my second reincarnation Bill took us all in town you were there we had that fabulous meal and we had a stand up one by one in front of Bill and introduce ourselves and I stood up didn't I in that it was in the living room all bar none in and I said Bill it's uh, bad you've not seen me in fact the last time you saw me you were sacking me and setting my contract uh, and that was actually the case and I, I thought he, he gets a lot of stick, didn't he? But I, I thought he was fantastic and that and a crucial part of we talked about what is that feeling about the club and that the, the, the Billness, the guy who's climbed over the fence at eight years old and the genuine love for the club, for me was a big part of that, what we described before, all those facets that make it something special. But the answer to that question is when the next season started. Mm. And I think to myself, right, I've three months off, uh, I'm going nowhere. But you know what? Nobody phoned me, so I wasn't going anywhere. Really? Yeah. That was going to be my next question, Baz. Were you, were you batting off offers? No, your break going. No, not at all. Because th this job is a bit like ships in the night. Nothing, 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 nothing. I talk about it in my book, and then the phone call, mm. and then the phone call, and then once I had three phone calls in one day, and nothing for months, and, that, and that's the nature. Now I understand that to be true now. Mm. And I left Everton in June because uh, I was I retired for the fifth consecutive year. Done my speech, got my watch, got my presence, and that left, and that light, you know. And then nothing happens in that. And then the phone call a couple of months later, Salford City, physios left abruptly. We're in trouble. Can you help? I actually said, oh, mate, you're 10 years too late. But I went in for a month. Loved it. The players, it's great. And that, so that's me. I, I'm now Salford's physio and, and loving it and enjoying every moment of it. But uh, we'll come, in, we'll... in answer to your question, it was when that league started and it was when I saw the team photo and I wasn't on it. Now I wasn't for obvious reasons and that. And watching the games on telly was really difficult because they're my boys in that dugout. Yeah. Jimmy Coma, uh, I worked with Jimmy's lad at Salford. Mm. Unbelievable. Last time I seen Charlie, uh, he was a kid, 10 years of age, 
now he's a grown up guy working as an analysis that this story of things going around and coming around and that but it was that and I remember once I was sat in the pub and I was watching Everton 1 Man U 3 Everton 2 Man U 3 mm. Everton 3 Man U 3 mm. I remember afterwards on the pitch euphoric Jimmy with the bottles and the grand old team and I'd have been there with Jimmy on the pitch and singing and buzzing and the hairs on my arms standing up because we'd just come back from 3-1 against the big enemy Man United and then into the medical room Chang's out 1-2-3 bottle for me and for Matt for Danny and Don Rogan and Jimmy and all the players coming in and buzzing mm-hmm. and that and it was those things those kind of smaller things you know that bit of not being there and I say in the second book that hurt so much to see that team photo without me on yeah but obviously, what did I expect? I'm not going to put my head on a hot day after I've been S, 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 S. I still can't say. For, for, for me, that's that's what that's that's football. That's the ruthlessness of football. Yeah. There is no time to grieve, is there? No. You can't stop the roundabout. No. You just got to wave goodbye yeah. and pull the next yeah. guy on, and the roundabout keeps going round. I went to Forest. I loved it. I loved Mark Warburton. I thought he was an amazing manager and an amazing guy. That was as, as happy as six months I've had in my life. We got beat 4 0 at home off Preston. I went in the next day and uh, he'd gone. David Weir had gone. Mm. And Big Jim, the goalie coach, had gone. They're gone. Now you see me, now you don't. Yeah. We're doing a great job. But no, the managers, the, the owner's patient has gone. And now you're not there. And that magic I drove 125 miles and got a flat force gone. Mm. So that's the nature of the game. And I saw that at loads of other clubs. You go in and where's so and so? I'll have been sacked. And then the new guy moves in. And then off we go again. And move on. And it's that kind of constant roller coaster of football. A lovely part of the book is your time with England. Yeah. And, and your sheer pride and having the yeah. three lines on your chest yeah. really comes yeah. across. And do you know the thing about it? You don't realise it until you get there. So when I was at Everton the first time, I was always filling in forms for uh, James Vaughan and Josie Baxter all our brilliant young players going away on England duty and finding it a bit of a painted all the forms and that like you know and they go away always away he's in I don't know he's in Vaughnie and Josie Bax have gone to somewhere with one of the teams and I never give it a minute's consideration that they would have England stuff on they're playing games they've got a big staff they're training it was completely away from my consciousness until I started doing it myself Mm. and when you're enveloped in it you realise it's really really something special like you know as I said, the first time I pulled the three lines, I'm like, you know, it was amazing. Which age groups did you work with? I started with the 94-year group. So right. my first year group, we did the Algarve tournament, my first, my first trip, and it was Raheem Sterling, Nathan Redmond, Nick Powell, Jordan, Pickford, who yeah. we've stayed friends and that, you know. And that was, a, a, we got to the semis in uh, um, Serbia that summer. Like That was a good year group. Then I had a, the next year, we did like the Loftus Cheeks, the, the, the Luke Shaws and that. Uh, we won the Euros two years later with an outstanding group with um, Joe Gomez skipping the side and John Joe at right back yeah, and uh, yeah, yeah. it was really funny we got to Malta the last, every year so Euros were the 17th the best eight teams you have to go through two qualifying phases the second phase only the top team go through and they're difficult but we got to the last eight in Malta and about three months before John Joe was playing a friend at St George's Park he jumped to me in front of me against Belgium landed crack so he's lying at my feet. I walk on like, you know, he's lying there looking off and he goes, <laughs> I said, oh, John, Joe, I think you bust your collarbone. He goes, Baz, you better get me fit for the Euros, lad. I'm not going to be happy, lad. And I said to him, I said, you'll score the winner, mate. And 
stepped up for the pen and uh, and that winning it for England it's, mm. it's unbelievable honestly and you, you, you then Astralan Thurman the, the, yeah does it get to you oh it's unbelievable yeah Chest pump. now it's really funny because once like we were we were playing we were playing Holland in the National Stadium in Sarajevo and there's nobody there and it's a qualifying game and you've got the juxtaposition that you've got the minaret next and the, the, the faithful being called to prayers and that like you know on the other side of the stadium you've got the ice rink where Torvin team won the gold <laughs> and that like you know and I'm singing the national anthem Pierce's belting out psycho obviously next to me and you have these moments of clarity you think what am I doing here on a Tuesday <laughs> afternoon downtown Sarajevo <laughs> like you know and it was weird and you go into places where you'd never go who got to say over Tbilisi places mm, like mm. that Yerevan in Armenia so it, that was magical what was Stuart Pearce like to work with fantastic yeah hardest nails obviously like you know not suffering falls and that belting out the anthem and if you're not belting out he's <laughs> by the way he's going to pull you out alright saying Lara next time mate Lara it's your national anthem mate <laughs> it, it, it was great they had a great dynamic with Ray Clements Trevor Brookin mm. and uh it, it was just fantastic. Legendary honestly. names, aren't they? Oh, I'll tell you yeah. what part of the book people will enjoy as well. Your second international career with Montserrat. But you didn't learn their national anthem. Mate, it's, it's that voyage. It, the, the, the whole second book, it made me realise what's important in life. And the first book's about confidence, having no confidence. The second book's that journey of discovery and it all comes to fruition on that amazing volcano ravaged island and that. <laughs> and you know, that taught me the purity of football because those lads were playing for their shirt. Yeah. And I've become accustomed to players playing for vast amounts of money and being motivated by vast amounts of money. And I'd assume that your team were only as good as the money available to buy those players. And I saw in those four games an incredible road to Damascus for me that no 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 if you play for each other and play for pride in that shirt and for no money you can achieve amazing things and that's what we did how did they come about in the first place how did Mick Rathbone end up physio so for Montserrat Danny Donaghy phones me up he goes Bart he goes help Willie his dad <laughs> he goes he's got a job somewhere in the Caribbean <laughs> he don't even know where he is he said it's Montserrat I said I know all about that I said he knows all about I know all about that because there was um, the um, what you call it Duran Duran and that recording <laughs> issue in the, yeah. in the 80s yeah. that's what I knew about and I knew about I, I know my history I know about geography as well so I know all about it and they there's only 5,000 people on the island and they wanted to get a team going the whole of CONCACAF which is 40 odd teams which mm. amazed me yeah. they wanted to reorganise it all and invite new teams in Montreal had played three years before they were like the last but one ranked team they were just above Singapore I think on goal difference in the world and that like you know and all the players mainly played in the National League South around the London teams you made stones I know they're National League teams like that wow. and he got it going and went over there and it was absolutely incredible honestly mate incredible probably the I've had so many great experiences but that was up there with the greatest experience of my life and it was really funny because we had to you have to fly out there to Antigua and then get catamaran across and we took off from Gatwick one day and the drinks trolley's on its way up like it's an 11 hour flight to Miami like you know and then a flight to Antigua and then the catamaran it's two days to get there 
and the trolley comes tinked in a long night. Now, back in the day, if a trolley with drinks on it had come within 50 yards of an Everton tracksuit with moise prowling around, <laughs> that aerosis would have got got the double <laughs> barrel absolutely <laughs> like so. It stopped next to me, drinks are, I went, yeah, I'll have an orange juice. Like, you know, I'm sat in the drink next month and goes, yeah, I'll have a, a double JD and Coke and can you give me four beers for the whole of the trip? <laughs> next lad, yeah, can I have two wines and four Budweiser's please for the trip? They all unloaded on these cans and the lad sat next to me and goes, don't you drink bars? But you know what? They were fine, they had a drink, they didn't abuse, they didn't go mad. Yeah. They had the drink, had the meal and then got their heads down for the next eight or nine hours of the flight yeah. and why not treat them like men and they'll behave like men and you know what? They actually behave like supermen on mm. their trips. We'll push it on a little bit. Your return to Everton was that? Did you feel you had a bit of unfinished business? Was no, it was a cathartic to go back to Everton. No, it was fate, and I write about it in the book that now I had this road to Damascus. I knew that everything could be mapped out in my life, and all these things that were going around and coming around, these strange things that I couldn't explain, and it was all part of the journey. And I got back from Montserrat, and uh, the phone rang. It was Danny again, and he said, "The under twenty three physios left. We haven't got a physio. Will you come back to Everton?" And I went, "Yeah, no problem." And it was like as simple as that because mm -hmm. I knew that was part of the journey. And as I say, in the pro, I, I drive back in after ten years and that, don't I? And uh, it was just meant to be. And it was. Was it a different football club the second time? Yes, about? it was. Uh, it gone on to another level in terms of the size, the staff. When we first moved into Finch Farm. We were saying like, why have there got so many offices? <laughs> there were so many offices. And like Parkinson's law, you build a motorway and before you know it, that's now full. Parkinson's law. Before you know it, the offices were full. And now there's a new block at Everton, which weren't there when I was there. Mm -hmm. So all of a sudden, it had grown like Parkinson's law to accommodate the extra office space. And in many ways, it was a different club. But on my first day in... I got a reminder that it wasn't different when I heard Jimmy Martin say, F.E.N.L., I thought we'd sat you 10 years ago, lad. <laughs> F.E.N.L. <laughs> so it was really good because people like Seiji, Shigzi, that's young Sean as well, uh, Robbie, the, 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 um, the, the head of the pitches and that, they were all the same guys. Mm. So you had this newness and this freshness and that, but you had this down-to-earthiness, if that's yeah. even a word, and that was in Jimmy effing out. Thought that's sat you, lad. Are <laughs> all kept men the same? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he, he's great, though. But lose that at your peril. Lose yeah. that. Yeah. When I first went to <laughs> Belfield, they'd give a player a medical, and they'd take him down into the gym and say, right, while you're waiting... Jimmy and uh, Robbie Gillespie just have a game of head tennis with Jimmy and that like you know what I mean and the, the manager would wait out so this is mainly in Howard Kendall's day and that and Jimmy and Robbie were unbelievable at head tennis and he was in that corner of the old gym which yeah. is it's a bit difficult because it's got the corner how to use the corner and that like you know never mind lad 21-2 and the manager come back in how'd they do Jimmy the new <laughs> signing yeah could took two off me lad <laughs> oh, never mind, lad. And the lad would be like absolutely distraught because a kick man in the groundsman who just wiped his backside at head tennis. And that was kind of an initiation, right? Get the new player in, get him in the gym, and they'd wipe the floor with him at head tennis. And it'd be a sad day when that magic that was Everton goes, and it's still retained in those old stages who are still populating the place and I'll make last. Medicals have changed over the years, but haven't they? There's no way Andy Gray and Peter Reid had signed for Everton, no. No, no way and I think um, that it's like that sort of now we've gone back 20 years and, that, and if you're playing and your medical history is okay 
you're signing. And that's what we're doing now. We're saving thousands of pounds on the medical and the players are all okay as well. But it, it, it is what it is. The players are worth so much money, I guess you can't take any chances. So mm. I'm not going to... I mean, I think Phil Neville tells a story in his book about his medical when I, I looked at him. I said, when's the last time you missed a game? He went four years ago. When's the last time you missed a training session? Two years ago. I said, right, you might as well sign here now. Yeah. And we laughed about it. But there is, in that story, a reality mm. to the situation. Yeah, you know, because if you over-scan, over-investigate, you're going to find something. Yeah, absolutely. Let's finish then on... The book, the actual book itself. Are you nervous about it? No, because uh, I like the book. It's good. I, I've changed the person. I don't need other people's validation like in the previous 45 years. And <laughs> the, in, in, in the last book and, and, and nearly every chapter of the new book, but no, I've changed. So I like it. I've done my best and that's good enough for me. Uh, I think everyone will love it as much as they love the first book. If they don't, well, I'm... I, I, I wouldn't say I'm not bothered, but mm. I like it and I like myself now uh, more than I ever did. So it doesn't really matter, does it? The story of day? real football, isn't it? Absolutely. It's good. I've had two fabulous reviews from the national press about it. Mm. It will do well. I like it. Uh, if you don't like it, I can live with that. Got the book? The writing book? Uh, you know what? <laughs> <laughs> when I was at Salford the other day, I was thinking, smell of football three. A, day, a daily diary of a month at Salford. <laughs> Why not in April? Me and Nevo and Bex and uh, all the guys there. So I enjoyed it. It's a great experience. And uh, when my first book out, come out, it went, my second one's coming only through my exclusive website. The first one was in all the Waterstones. And I was away with England down in Cambridge. And uh, we took the lads in to see the fabulous city of Cambridge. So they went straight into uh, Starbucks, obviously. You know, <laughs> And me and the doc went next door. There was a massive water stones. And on the top, there was a massive table. It was 2011, my book had just come out. And that table was populated by about 100 copies of my book. My book in Cambridge in Waterstones. Wow. On the next table was Ferguson's book and all his. So the doc, <laughs> he got all Ferguson's copies, put them in a pile and got mine out from like where they were stored as well and put them out so I had two and we ran downstairs laughing and that. And that's when I guess you know fame. And I saw people reading the first book. I saw somebody on the beach in Greece reading it and laughing. Wow. Wow. And people would uh, send me pictures from Sydney Opera House or the pyramids or... Uh, what's he called, Maxu Pichu or Angkor Wat, sat there with a copy of my book and that, like, you know. Okay. It's a great feeling, you know. How are we getting on with Gary Neville? He's fantastic. He's a really, really nice guy. His passion for Salford is fantastic. Uh, he's been in th a couple of times. I met him at Derby for the first time. He was so friendly and that. So, yeah, yeah, really, I'm going to say, changed my opinion of him because mm -hmm. we all thought he was a uh, 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 <laughs> but he's actually not. He's a really nice guy. <laughs> <laughs> Baz, we could go on for hours and hours. Uh, it's been a, a pleasure to catch up with you and have a coffee and share those memories and like everybody that reviews their own book, we've left a load out if you want yeah. the inside story. It's yeah. Smell of Football too. Yeah. Good luck with it, Baz. It's yeah. going to fly And out. can I say, Dan, when I talk about those amazing people have been Everton a long time you're one of them and you are Everton and without you on the press side of things it would never be the same and we were eight years together three mm. years just recently we shared some amazing times <laughs> in the back bar in uh, Austria <laughs> and uh, when we went to see the JFK shooting place in Dallas yeah. I have some great memories of you and you as much as the Jimmy Martins uh, 
uh, and the big dunks are as big a part of that club and make it so special, mate. So thank you as well. Nice of you to say that. Lovely to see you, Buzz. Great, thank you. Thank you.